Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Paul Gezi, CEO of Control Energy Corp. Welcome, Paul. Hey, Jeff. Good to be with you. Thank you. So, Paul, you were on uh, in March, and uh, since then the stock's done quite well, and I, I think in uh, in part due to a new product you have uh, coming out that sounds exciting. But for those that hadn't caught the last one, uh, before we go into the new product, can you give us uh, a little overview of the company? Sure. So Control Energy is in the smart buildings business. Uh, what we do is we add more intelligence to buildings, and uh, we do that through a software, IoT, SaaS, and solutions platform. The primary verticals we address in a building are uh, energy um, consumption, energy demand, and also what we call continuous emission monitoring and air quality. And if you think about uh, buildings right now in North America, uh, they consume about $200 billion annually in, in overall energy spend, uh, which is quite significant energy market. About 30% of that is uh, energy lost to waste. So that's a $70 billion market. And buildings contribute to about 40% of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So we define our natural market as about $100 billion a year in North America alone and growing. Um, and from our perspective, uh, you know, the way we uh, generate revenues, again, is through service, uh, software, and uh, automation projects in those buildings. Okay. And in terms of the competitive landscape, how do you fit in? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So there's um, a handful of uh, what I would call mega caps, and, and you would know these names like Honeywell, Siemens, Schneider, Johnson Controls, you know, very large, multi-billion global companies. And then you have a, a really significant number of small caps, and most of those are private, and not a lot in the mid-cap space. So it's a really interesting market. It's, it's rapidly consolidating globally. Uh, we view ourselves uh, as a small cap that's going to grow into a mid-cap. And once you get to about $100 million of revenue and above in our space, you know, there, there's a lot of acquisitions in that area. So we fit in nicely um, with competition. We've got some unique patented technology that, that uh, helps us drive our business, but that's the landscape. Okay. And then the, the customers, are they buying uh, a greener solution or are they buying cost savings? Yeah, so I think uh, you know, everyone likes to be green, but uh, to be blunt, you know, the, one of the first questions we get is, is what's my return on investment? if I'm you know, going to improve my building or my facilities, and typically customers want less than a three-year payback. If you're less than a three-year payback, you have a high chance of success. So on the software side, we're under a one-year payback. On our projects, we're typically under three. You know, combined, we get close to two. And so what that does, what our projects do from an automation technology perspective is drive energy savings uh, through more technology and improvements, uh, you know, energy monitoring, energy analytics, energy automation, and then on the air quality side, it's mostly about regulatory compliance and making sure, you know, you're not breaking any rules or laws. So when you put all that together, it's got to be a fast payback, high return, and, and that's typically how clients, you know, they may love you, but if you can't get into their payback, they're going to skip uh, being green. Now, to, to add value, do you need new construction? Uh, great question. So that's a market we've stayed away from. We typically find new construction margins are too low for us. Uh, so we primarily work in existing buildings. And, you know, any, any building built over the last 50 years has some type of automation system, but they're typically closed-loop architecture. 
a little cumbersome. And uh, our software, our patented software, has the ability to speak with any legacy system. We typically are back, backnet and Modbus, but we've got over 17 different communication protocols which can allow us to speak with any building, get that building online and reporting to the customer. And that's one of the things that makes us quite unique is our patented technology and approach. Now, uh, who are your customers or, or what's, what's an ideal customer for you? Yeah, so we're very fortunate. So we cover the multi-residential, which is the apartment building sector, the commercial building sector, uh, the institutional, which is government, and then what we call industrial, which is factories. So very broadly diversified. Uh, the majority of our customers are blue chip customers. So uh, last year, we had a Toyota Two-Show Canada, Toyota Two-Show US, and, and Toyota Two-Show is the supplier to all the Toyota factories across North America. And uh, so they've become a, a, fact, a partner in our smart factory platform. Uh, we were fortunate to add Beyond Meat as a customer last year, and really a, a good cross-section of uh, large private and public REITs. Uh, we've got, for example, uh, Lafarge, which is one of the largest cement companies in the world as a customer. So we, we were very blessed to have a large blue chip customer base, and we're continually looking for customers that have more than one building, so portfolios of buildings that we can scale into. And, and how are you reaching these customers? What channel? Uh, so there's, we, we work on numerous channels. We have, one, a direct sales force. Two, we have techs in the field, and the techs in the field are continuously being trained across all products. Um, so we just did um, an acquisition of a small service business in July, you know, very profitable business, mostly recurring revenue on the service side. And uh, we now have those uh, approximately seven techs. Sometimes it's 10, depending on projects. But all those techs are now selling our technology platform into the existing customer building. So it's direct sales and it's cross sales, which are a big part of our growth. Okay. Um, geographies, are you in Canada and U.S. or, or where are you? Yeah, so we're 18, I would say 80% Canada, about 50 to 15 to 20% U.S. And Canada, we cover primarily about half the country in our customer base. And in the U.S., it's primarily California and Texas and also Kentucky. Okay. And what's the average sale price? In terms of our solutions? Yes. Yeah, so a typical building, you know, we think of um, – our revenue base is growing our building base. So the more buildings we have that we're doing work in, the more money we make. So a typical building, you know, we're selling solutions in the range of 100000 Some could be much higher depending on if it's a complex project. Some could be a little lower. Uh, so about 100000 The entry point for our software solutions is about 20000 and the typical recurring revenue is about 1000 a month. Okay. And... Are you doing all this yourself, uh, or are you uh, outsourcing? Uh, so what we do is we retain all the high-value IP uh, part of the revenue chain. If there's something that's low-value, for example, on a project automation uh, system, we would retain the software. Uh, we would retain the primary IP of producing or installing that system. Uh, oftentimes, on a variable basis, we'll outsource or contract the low-margin work, and uh, we typically like to keep software margins at 80%, service at 60, and projects at 35. That's how we get our blended, you know, 45 to 48% gross margin, and we will outsource the lower part of the value chain. Um, that's worked well for us, and we're going to continue to do so. 
And the revenue model, what, is, what does that look like? Uh, so right now, the goal for control is by the end of next year to be 50% recurring revenue. We started the business with zero uh, recurring revenue. We're now at about 30%. So 30% recurring and 70% project. Okay. Uh, and COVID, how has that uh, affected you guys? It's been very interesting. So you mentioned a new COVID technology, which, um, you know, uh, I think has been kind of stellar for the company. And we could talk, you know, talk about the history of that. But in terms of overall COVID, what we've basically seen is in Canada, we went through a four-month shutdown. And basically, you were not allowed on site in premises. Um, and that was, you know, driven by provincial politics, but also, you know, company mandates. So we've seen a decline in what we call uh, project revenue, which is getting on site, you know, putting something in place and automating. Our service business has done extremely well because we've still been servicing our customers. Our software business is doing fine. So we've seen a dip in project revenues. And I think, you know, as long as we've got constraints on getting into facilities, projects will tend to be quite variable. Um, our summer was okay. We've picked up some projects, but now we're back into potentially a second um, shutdown. And I know in the U.S. we're kind of having the same discussions. Are, you know, are we allowed to travel? What's the access to site? So that's been the negative part of COVID. The positive part is our new technology, uh, which has uh, kind of taken off for us after a very long uh, process starting in March. So let's talk about that. How did it come about? Yeah, so we uh, asked the question in March. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, we have historically done a lot of work for air quality continuous emission, and what we're looking for for our industrial customers is particulates that should not be part of a process, should not be in the air, identifying those, flagging those, uh, and reporting those uh, to our customers. So that's very uh, detailed and, and very scientific and mechanical work, and we have a long history of knowing how to build those systems and doing that. So we asked the question in March, can we measure for COVID like we do air quality? We had no idea, but we knew we were very good at the mechanical engineering part of the process. We got two independent labs involved. And so um, there's a few labs in Canada that have um, access to the live COVID virus. The impact lab at one of our universities here, one of our principal universities uh, is who we're working with. So over a period of about four months um, through a lot of research um, and R&D and working with the labs, we developed a process uh, to detect COVID and we basically merged that with our continuous air quality process uh, that we use right now. So what's new to the process is the COVID detection. And uh, we went through three significant tests. The first test was um, interacting uh, with, with dormant COVID, which we were able to approve. We had a press release on that. We then took our working prototype, our BioCloud analyzer is what we call it, into the lab. And we were able with the analyzer to detect dormant COVID and then we finally did um, the live COVID test a couple weeks ago, and that was positive. Uh, we have received uh, $50,000 from the Canadian government uh, through the National Research Council and IRAP program to help us move the, the uh, testing along. So uh, we believe we're in a good spot right now where we're getting ready to commercialize, and uh, we'll have more news on that in the coming days and weeks. But we believe now we have a tested product that's viable that can help detect COVID in the air. So I'll go into maybe a few minutes of how it works if you have any questions on that. Sure. Um, first off, I just want to make sure I have this. Um, this is in addition, uh, it fits into your product line. It's not a pivot of the company. Exactly. We call it, uh, we call it an extension of an existing product line where we've done deep 
uh, we have deep industry experience. We spent um, a good chunk of R&D money, and we have you know viable. I would say we've covered hundreds of facilities across North America with our air sampling and air quality and emission group. So we call it an extension into COVID, not a pivot. Now, is there um, some uh, approval process or, or what certifies or lets people feel comfortable that you're actually catching right. the disease? So we, um, we have two independent labs that have validated technology. So these labs, uh, Control doesn't own them and has no equity stake. Uh, we've brought in the Canadian government through the National Research Council of Canada and the IRAP program. And so uh, in order to uh, get to commercialization and, and receive commercialization funding, the, pro- the project must be approved by the National Research Council. We then go to CSA, which is basically electrical safety and, and, and operating approval. And so that's the validation. Um, and uh, we, we feel that's sufficient to commercialize and to sell the product because we meet, we meet the minimum requirements of commercialization. Of course, there's always more testing we can do as we go further with the product and into new product lines. So just as an example, the product right now is focused on COVID. So there's a specific uh, reagent process that we use um, and a specific process we use in the BioCloud Analyzer to identify COVID. We've discovered in lab testing that we can change that or tweak that to look for things like Legionnaire's disease, H1N1. So this is not a COVID-only product. There's lots of longevity here and other solutions that we can come up with uh, in the market. So uh, from our perspective, uh, you know, there's, this is a product that's going to have a lot more testing in the future and other applications. But as of today, we feel very comfortable that uh, we've sufficiently tested to get to commercial readiness. So what does the, the product look like? Is it standalone? Is it, uh, does it have a filter or you know, a yeah, consumable great question. So if you go to our website, uh, controlenergy.com, there's a press kit and you can see the product. It's basically a 12 by 12 by 10 unit that sits on the wall. Uh, what we have is an air sampling um, component which continually draws in air from a room. So if you think about a room that's about 1,000 square feet, let's say a typical classroom, there's 15 to 18 kids in the classroom, they're all breathing. Within about an hour, uh, we can sample all their breaths over time in the room, you know, three times. And so if you really think about safe spaces uh, and, and the challenge we're having with COVID, um, if we're breathing you know, close to each other or near each other, at some point we're going to be taking in other people's breath. And that's how you know, the virus is quite efficient in transmitting itself uh, through the air. So by sampling the air over time, we're able to detect the virus. It accumulates in what we call our detection chamber, and we're able to optically flag it through our specific process. Once we flag it, uh, a silent alert is created to either the teacher or the principal in the classroom setting, you know, on a bus and maybe the bus driver. We can now say, you know, COVID is present in the air and everyone should be individually tested and you can start your contact tracing. If you think about where we are today, you don't find out, you know, for a few weeks that it's in the air, people are sick, uh, they're passing it on to each other, and then you start contact tracing and that's why you have these super spreader uh, opportunities is it's not flagged early enough. So we're creating a safe space technology. It's defined to a room. It's typically a classroom uh, would be a, an ideal setting, an airplane, a bus, a retirement home, a hospital, uh, anywhere where people are gathering in a confined space where we can sample the air continuously and load the virus and, and uh, optically identify the virus in our detection chamber. 
So is the detection chamber disposable? Yeah, so what we've created is what we call a consumable. Once the detection chamber comes into contact with the virus and we flag it, it must be disposed of. Uh, we have a self-cleaning mechanism, which is basically you know, a bleach compound that will, will clean the device. It can be disposed of in a hazardous uh, substance material bag, which is quite simple to do. Uh, the local custodian or the local facility manager uh, can do that. And uh, we, sh we will ship replaceable um, components uh, as required, and those will be the consumable. And for the device itself, um, if we're pivoting away a year or two from now from COVID and Legionnaire's disease is the critical you know, um, pathogen or virus um, in a building, we will switch our reagent uh, to focus on that. So it's a, it's got a, it's a, longe it's a longevity-based product with multiple applications. But today, certainly the concern, you know, the pressing concern is COVID and transmission through the air. And uh, the the medical is it medical waste or uh, toxic waste when when it's disposed of, or just regular trash after it's bleached? Uh, we would say a biohazard bag. You look uh, the red biohazard. But if you think about it. Um, uh, think about a building that has COVID and you've replaced the uh, filter. So for right now, as an example, the Canadian government is spending $2 billion on um, improving filters in schools across the country. Well, if a filter comes into contact with COVID, you know, that's also a biohazard, but we don't tend to think of it that, that way, right? So every HVAC system filter, you know, could have the virus in it. And uh, so we tend to think of it this way. We're part of the air quality system. That's the way to think about it. And um, we're part of the uh, HVAC improvement system. Uh, we typically will sit in the room, but we can also sit beside the HVAC system. And uh, once we've cleaned the uh, in inside of the biocloud with bleach, it can be disposed of as a, a regular, what we would call red bag uh, biohazard. And do you have a pr proprietary uh, component to this? Yes. Yeah, so actually, uh, we've started our patent process. Uh, and what we have uh, to patent is our detection chamber uh, where we uh, can identify uh, the virus uh, and, uh, and define it. So that, uh, that patent has started uh, a few days ago. Okay. And then how much is the unit going to cost, roughly? So we say retail is $12,000. Uh, that's not based on large volume, but it's a good indicator of uh, – you know where we are today. Should volumes uh, be substantial, uh, we can we can drop that price through contract manufacturing. Uh, and we, you know, the way we look at the um, the cost of the uh, unit is we're, you know, we're part of this overall air quality improvement in buildings. And if you're going to be spending billions of dollars on HVAC systems and air filters, which really may have no impact on the spread of the virus, we should really be part of that solution. So would a school building need one for each class or, or just one for the building? So ideally, if you want to start segmenting, it would be one per class with the concept that, you know, if you have it in the hallway, you know, every student walking that hallway, um, you know, maybe a spreader. If you identify it per classroom, you'll be able to say these three cl classrooms need individual testing. Uh, let's keep the rest of the school open. What we're finding today in our experience in Canada here is, you know, five to ten students have the virus, it, it's almost as if the entire school needs to shut down, which is very inefficient. And it's getting, um, we're getting to that stage here where there's great concern over a second shutdown. I'm not sure what's happening uh, across the U.S., but if you can localize this to a classroom, 
it's much more effective in terms of contact tracing and, and keeping the school system open. Okay. And uh, are you going to make this, or this is subbed out? So basically our approach is uh, we will um, essentially hire third-party contract manufacturers of high quality, you know, with global uh, capability. Um, ideally, we begin the manufacturing process in Canada and the selling in Canada, but we've had requests uh, from India, from Europe, uh, from China. Uh, we're getting requests uh, for distribution relationships from all over the world. Um, but ideally, it's a contract manufacturing relationship uh, based out of Canada. The, the great concern for control of the company and our shareholders is protecting the IP, uh, establishing ourselves as a leader, and um, you know, going global after that. Uh, it's the best way to do it and having our patent built uh, along the way, but, but starting in Canada and shipping globally after that. And where are you in the process? Is there more testing to be done, or when can it be available for sale? Right. So what we've said is we've completed our pre-commercialization testing. We're now in the commercialization phase. So part of commercialization is setting what we define as lower detection limits with commercial specifications. So over the next 30 days, we'll be uh, defining all that uh, through additional testing uh, to the point of commercialization. We hope to be shipping product in November. Uh, it's a race for us. There are tight timelines. Uh, we think we can do it, uh, but it's an internal goal, and um, you know, we're, we're going to commit to doing that because we think right now you know, we're in those discussions of a second shutdown, and I know, you know many parts of the world are facing kind of the same dilemma where people don't feel safe in, in, in spaces where they gather, and hopefully we can be part of the uh, solution. So we're really pushing hard uh, for November uh, product sales. And initially, is it going into schools? You had mentioned a university. So what we're, we're, we have great interest from what we would define as institutional uh, buildings. So that's uh, schools, government, um, you know, uh, long-term care homes, retirement homes, uh, kind of the most vulnerable places in the economy. Um, we're really not looking towards selling one or two units. Uh, so we've had requests, as an example, from a movie theater you know, for 10 units, we're not taking those um, orders right now. And the idea being we're looking for a cementing or significant order from an institutional uh, client uh, to protect the technology. So what, one of the ways, you know, to protect the technology is to have a solid order. If you're shipping one or two units, you know, around the world, it's quite easy, easy to be hacked uh, and the technology I don't want to say stolen, but copied. And so to protect that, to become the leader, I think, you know, a good Canadian institutional order sets the stage for much larger growth. Okay. And do you, do you have any partners for this, or are you taking it on yourself? Uh, so this was all uh, internally generated technology. We've used external labs for validation. Uh, we consider the government a partner in, in the respect that they've given us some funding to accelerate uh, testing. Uh, you know, we would look for more government funding as part of commercialization. We're really focused on not diluting the company on, um, you know, we have a very tight share structure. It's one of the things that makes us unique in, in small cap Canada and the U.S. We've got 31, 32 million basic now, 40 million fully diluted uh, with about 40% insider ownership. Um, and this, I think the stock's done well because we haven't raised capital and uh, the share structure is very tight. So, from that perspective, we're going to keep trying to run the business without diluting, um, and it's all internally generated, so there's there's no there's no direct partners in the technology. 
Okay. And in terms of what to look for, catalysts over the next six, twelve months, um, you'd mentioned testing. Uh, you're going to have a, an announcement about results of that, or when you're yeah. So I would say um, uh, yeah, commercialization. So um, there's really no more testing to do other than commercialization, which is defining the lower um, detection limit. So when you when you ship a product. You have to have your product um, meet certain certification standards about CSA. And, uh, but in terms of the product operation, we'll establish the lower detection limit. So that will be a milestone. Um, so getting to commercialization uh, will be another milestone and having our first order. So I think you know, those are three critical milestones that if we're able to achieve those, uh, you know, we should be doing quite well uh, in terms of our uh, shareholder value and, and growing the business. Uh, and, and I would uh, I look out for those. Ask, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I forgot to ask you about um, profit margin on this. Are you going to make money on the on the device as well as the consumable? Yeah. So the margins are healthy. We don't uh, are not disclosing margins today because of the proprietary nature of the technology. But I would say. In the optical, you know, in the high-end optical technology industry, um, you could look at three times cost for where products are sold. Uh, but we we typically don't define the margin and the consumables. Um, you know, will you'll have to replace the consumable uh, every three months if you come into contact with COVID. It may be sooner, of course, because uh, you'll have to dispose of it. But it becomes a nice recurring revenue business once the product is established uh, and on the wall you will need to uh, purchase the consumables from control. Okay. Well, it's an exciting and needed product. Uh, before we go, any, any closing remarks you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, we take the approach that, um, you know, we have to deliver on milestones. And um, I think what you've seen, because you mentioned that at the beginning, you know, the stock's done quite well. And I think if you look at the history of the company, you know, we're very focused on execution. Uh, we have a big insider position. Uh, we haven't been diluting the company, and um, you know, we want to continue to achieve success through milestones and um, continue to deliver value for shareholders. And you know, we're not only operators; we're also shareholders in the business. Well, Paul, thank you for sharing the control story. Thanks for your time. Thank you.